Hello, and thank you for listening to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast of Vineyard Church right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can check out our website for more information about our church or find our audio archive with all of our previous messages at www.vineyardchurch.us. You can also subscribe on Apple or Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. Our scripture reading today comes from Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire the workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around and doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. At noon and again at three o'clock, he did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one has hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid the full day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner, those who worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be so jealous because I am, the, I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. This is the gospel of Christ. Thanks, buddy. Hi, how are you? Uh, welcome. I'm glad you're here. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to do something really quick before we get started. Chad, I see you stretching back there. Will you come in the aisle and um, just like as an illustration, will if I pay you $5, will you do jumping jacks for five minutes? Five it's a dollar a minute. That's $60 an hour, I think, maybe. $5, five minutes. No, no, no. I want to pay you. This is my money. This is not the church's money. (laughs) I wouldn't know how to get the church's money. So, uh, yeah. But you have to start now. Okay. Everyone can't see. I don't know if y'all know, but Chad won a CrossFit award this year. It was called Sneaky Fit. Um, We call it Exceeding Expectations. (laughs) Most Improved. Um, speaking of CrossFit, Justin, will you do, will you want to do it? Some jumping jacks? Yeah, I'll pay you too. I have ones and fives. Yeah, you can just come in the aisle. Chad's moved out of the aisle, but okay, that's good. That works for me. If you can do more than him somehow, that'll work in your favor. Avery, you're back by Chad. Do you want to? Okay, just find an aisle place anywhere. I'll pay you. 
Oh, sweatshirt off, guys. Avery went to a dance last night, too. He's already sore. <laughs> Levi, do you want to do it? I'll pay you. Okay, Jumpy Jacks, get that sweatshirt off, man. Tate, you feel like doing some jumping Jacks? All right, go for it. All right, let's pay you. Tate, here you go. Five wrinkly dollars right there. Now, we can pay everybody. Come on up. Levi, come get your money. No, you still get paid. Just come to the front. <laughs> you, you somehow are still... No, the, the, the day is over. You're ruining my illustration. It's my vacation fund money right here. Also, I only have $26 in my vacation money fund. Chad, I'm just curious how you feel about Levi and you and Tate and everyone making the same amount of money. Ruiner, ruiner, <laughs> ruiner. Um, that was supposed to be a sermon illustration, but honestly, that was really just Chad's moving to Atlanta, and I try to think of some way to embarrass him every Sunday, and that was, that was mine for this Sunday. So way to go. A round of applause for all of our jumping jackers. That was great. Chad, thank you for putting that $5 in the offering box. I saw that. Um, let's pray. <laughs> Jesus, uh, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this place. Thank you for this people. Uh, thank you that's a little warmer now, post-jumping jacks. Uh, uh, I just ask you to be with us. I um, have felt all week like you want to offer us an extra measure of mercy, an extra measure of grace this morning. And so I just, I don't know, collectively we just open our hands to what you have for us today. And I pray that you would... Um, Fill us with the courage to look inside ourselves to see maybe what's in between us and that extra measure that you want to offer us. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so we are um, spending, we've, we've been for a couple of weeks and we're spending the next few weeks in the Bible looking uh, at parables, um, parables that teach us about the nature and the character of Jesus and about the kingdom of God. This is our epiphany series uh, this year. And, and we've said that parables are stories that point to something bigger than themselves or point to something beyond themselves, a moral lesson uh, or a spiritual lesson or something like that. Um, Emily Dickinson has a poem, and the title of it is also the first line, and she says, tell the truth, but tell it slant. And what she means is, uh, tell the truth, but come at it from an angle, like not straight on. Come around the side uh, as you tell the truth, but leave rooms for some mystery. Leave room for some discovery that will lead someone um, to that truth that you're trying to say. And Eugene Peterson, um, who's my favorite pastor, he argues that telling it slant is exactly what Jesus is doing in the parables. Jesus, he's always teaching truth, and he's always talking about the kingdom of God, but often he comes at it from an angle with a story or an illustration. He comes at it with a parable. And uh, Jesus, he employed this technique in order to allow room for people to think and to discover uh, the truth for themselves. Uh, all of you left-brainers or Enneagram ones in the room are like, and that's why Jesus is weird. Like, that doesn't really make sense. Like, why, if you're just going to tell the truth, why wouldn't you just say it? Like, and, 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 and why would you go at it from an angle when you could just hit it straight on? And 
And the only answer I know uh, for this is I think Jesus does this because I think Jesus values thinking. And I think Jesus values discovery. He, he, he values people waking up to the thing he's trying to talk about. Uh, this parable is one of the places that we see and honestly for me wrestle, uh, I think, most clearly with what uh, Bible teachers call the kingdom paradox. Um, and so I want to spend a little bit of time today talking about paradox before we jump uh, into the story. Um, because at the Vineyard, uh, we say and believe that we are people of the kingdom of God. We are people who believe in the rule and reign of God um, all over the world, living and active in this moment. And if you've read much about what Jesus has to say about the kingdom of God, um, you might agree with me that it is full of paradox. Um, and so to be kingdom people, I think it's important for us to talk about what that means. Um, the word uh, paradox is a, a Greek word from Greek bases. Uh, the prefix is para, which means beyond or outside of. And then um, the verb dokin on, on attached to the prefix means to appear or to think. So literally, it means um, to think beyond or to exist or appear outside of something. It is something contrary or converse to uh, current expectations or existing beliefs. Uh, I read a definition this week that was perfect. It said, a paradox is a statement that seems self-contradictory or absurd, but in reality it expresses a possible truth. Paradox is a statement that seems absurd, but in reality it exposes or it expresses something that is profoundly True, and the stories of Jesus, they are full of paradoxes. I said a few weeks ago that, um, that I think that Jesus is always talking about the kingdom and he's always uh, doing the work of the kingdom. And so it makes sense, if that's true, that kingdom para paradox would absolutely be like a thing uh, in Jesus' story and in Jesus' teaching. Because the kingdom that Jesus practiced and taught is unquestionably contrary to expectations. Then and now, uh, contrary to existing beliefs, then and now, it is something that uh, at the time and still seems absurd and, and seems opposite of what anyone actually practices or believes, and yet it is at the same time profoundly true. It's a kingdom, Jesus says in our text today, where the first is the last and the last is the first. Jesus' parables of the kingdom are full of kingdom paradox. Uh, like today's story. It's early in the morning when the story starts and the landowner um, is out and he's looking for people to work in his vineyard. And it's nine o'clock and he hires a few people to begin the work day um, and he promises to pay them a day's work. And they agree and so they go to this vineyards and they start working. And then at noon he finds himself back in the town and he sees a few more people and he sends them to his vineyard to work. And then he does the same thing at three o'clock. And then, um, as the day is starting to end, he goes back to the Agora, or the town center, and he sees some folks standing around, and he says, why aren't you working? And they say, because no one hired us. Uh, I think we can read for that, there was maybe not enough work, or maybe they were not valuable enough. These are the people nobody wanted. And he says, okay, come work in my field. And it's almost five o'clock, the day's Almost done. Uh, a Jewish reading of this in our reading in the NLT, they used our time, like 9, 12, 3, and 5. Um, but a Jewish reading of this would say, like, in the 11th hour, uh, these people, they come to the field. 
Uh, I've, I've read that this story, uh, this parable that Jesus told is actually uh, a, similar to a really common story told by rabbis during the time. And it was one that they used uh, to teach about uh, hard work and work ethic and getting uh, rewarded. But for Jesus, this story is paradox. He takes another take. Uh, he has a different take on it. It's a story, um, uh, not for those things, but to expand the hearer's view of God as, as this merciful landowner and to, re- the reject, to reject the view of God as a foreman who judges blessing uh, based on output. And to replace it um, with this view, uh, expanding view of the image of God as incredibly kind and insanely generous. The God who blesses not by hours worked, but by his own just generosity and generous disposition. For Jesus, this parable is not so much a commentary on landowning or union pra- uh, practices. In fact, if we use it as that, it would be awful and people would get sued. Uh, it's not, it's not a, a parable about work ethic. It is a commentary on the social and the economic power of the God of the universe. This is a story about the nature and character of God who is the landowner who keeps going back to town and keeps inviting anyone who wants to work into his vineyard who isn't offering payment by the hour, but favor to anyone who wants it. This is a story, a parable, not just about God, but how his kingdom operates. A kingdom that can't, as N.T. Wright says, be stored up or bargained. It's a story uh, that tells us that the kingdom isn't something that one person can have a whole lot of and another person have just a little bit of. I think um, if you've been here a while, we kind of treat Chad that way. Like Chad has a whole lot of the kingdom, and so he prays for people, and crazy things happen. And um, I do this, and I'm like, and I have a little, and so I'm like, ooh, hope hope something happens. (laughs) You know, (laughs) eek. But that isn't how the kingdom works. It isn't something someone has a whole lot of and and someone doesn't have anything of. Uh, It's it's Because it seems, according to the story, that what we receive from God in his economy is not wage, it's favor. It's covenant. It's his promises to us. Every single worker in the story received the promise. Uh, You will be paid for your work today. It's a kingdom promise. You will be held. You will be provided for. You will be mine. The kingdom of God is like this. The same blessing and favor is offered to everyone who wants it in equal measure. Same blessing for, for five minutes of jumping jacks or two. To- Tate, did you even get in a jumping jack? Two, three, oh. The same blessing and favor exists for the folks who show up early to work or at least on time uh, with the right tools and the right uniform and the right work ethic. And for those who show up a day late and a dollar short. I was kind of expecting like an amen or a hallelujah. We're not an on-time crowd here. <laughs> But, the, but I think there's no amen because that isn't really our reaction to the story, is it? Like, I want that to be my reaction to the story, that Jesus is like, mercy for anyone who wants it no matter when. I love mercy and grace. I think they are quite literally the best things to exist in the entire world. But I think if a lot of us are honest, uh, this story is uncomfortable, Uh, Barbara Brown Taylor, uh, a a preacher that gets a lot of of airtime here, uh, she says that this story is a little bit about like when your mom tries to give you a spoonful of fish oil and you know it's good for you and you know you should take it and you trust the person giving it to you, but it doesn't make it taste any better going down, right? It's still hard to swallow. 
This story, it is a paradox that makes us, or at least makes me, wildly uncomfortable. Uh, I read something this week that helped me in this. Uh, They said, we struggle with this parable because as we read it, it also reads us. Like it exposes in us that thing that's like, hey, 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 that's not fair. Like that's not fair for them. I've been here a long time and they've only been here for five minutes. This parable bothers me because those early workers, it doesn't seem fair for them, right? Am I alone? This parable uh, bothers me because the numbers don't seem to work right. Uh, Because honestly, these numbers are not fair by any measure that we use to determine what fair is. It is uncomfortable because uh, Jesus' story uh, pushes us right there. It seems to say uh, that the numbers that seem unfair to us are actually fair. In the story, the landowner promises the first round of workers to pay them a fair daily wage, and they agree to it, and they work, and he pays them for that. He does exactly what he says he would do. If it had just been them, no one would call the story unfair, right? It's not until uh, the last round of workers come in. In the story, um, that is when the numbers start to get silly, and the numbers, they get very, very silly, uh, which is sort of like a teaching mechanism that Jesus uses a lot during his life. Silly numbers. Uh, There's probably a more official term for that, but... All numbers are silly to me. So um, there's, a, there's the time in Jesus' life when he, he uh, there's the, the widow, he's in the temple, and there's an offering taking place, and the widow gives what's like the equivalent of not even a penny. And there are all these, like, uh, this giant offering coming from the other people, and he calls the not even a penny more valuable than the big chunk of money. There's the one where he talks about the shepherd who leaves 99 sheep in order to go chase after one lost sheep. There's uh, the story where this woman comes to Jesus and she breaks this perfume all over his feet and washes it with her hair. And somebody's like, uh, that perfume was expensive. It was like a whole year's worth of salary. And we could have given that to the poor. And Jesus says, no, what she did was good. Like it's, he uses silly numbers all the time. I read this this week. When Jesus plays the numbers, he arrives at a very different bottom line than we do. His numbers game is quite different than ours because for Jesus, the gospel challenges so much of what we practice around worth and around value and around fairness. I want to read uh, Philip Yancey wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace, and he talks about this story. He says, Jesus' story makes no economic sense, and that was his intent. He was giving us a parable about grace which cannot be calculated like a day's wages. The employer in Jesus' story did not cheat the full day's workers. No, the full day workers got exactly what they were promised. Their discontent arose from the scandalous mathematics of grace. I love that. The scandalous mathematics of grace. Uh, Living in kingdom paradox means that we take on a new set of lenses where we look to God for the wisdom and discernment to determine what fair means in a kingdom perspective. When we look to God to uh, see his wild calculations of grace and mercy, it means that we stop trying to settle things on our own terms and in humility take on the absurdity of the economy of the kingdom to make uh, room for other people, the scandalous mathematics of grace for us and for others. 
Uh, my favorite definition of humility, um, if you've been around here for a while, you probably know this. My favorite definition of humility, I have had a friend who went to seminary, and uh, she learned this from a professor. I thought it was genius. And his definition is humility is allowing others. That's simply it. Humility is allowing others. It's making room for others. Humility means on a soul level that the shine or the compensation or the recognition of others does not affect our shine or our own standing. Humility means that someone else being great does not mean that you aren't great. Humility allows room for others and all of their shine and all of their accomplishments. I think it's a really good definition, but I think it's a really hard definition. Because in my life, when other people shine or other people get uh, way more for way less work or they get recognized for something smaller than something I think I can do, I hate it. I, I hate it. Like, I wish that the paradox of the kingdom economy ruled in my heart and mind. But if I'm honest, what rules in my heart and mind is restitution and recognition and scorekeeping compensation that feels fair or at least compensation that's unfair in my favor. These are the first instincts of my mind and the first instincts of my soul. We like to think of ourselves as the responsible workers working a full day, not the scoundrels who snuck in at the last minute. It's what makes the math of God's kingdom so confusing for us because we want what we put in. We work really hard to be good and, and, and to do right and to put goodness back into the world. And if you're anything like me, when you put that goodness out in the world, you want it to come back to you in equal or greater measure. But the kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom where that doesn't work, where grace isn't dependent on the responsibility of work. Grace is dependent on the giver of grace. Robert Cabon says, grace doesn't sell. You can hardly even give it away because it only works for losers and nobody wants to stand in their line. <laughs> it's true though, right? I want to stand in the good line. I don't want to stand in the loser line. I want to stand in the good line and I want, to be, I want that to be what matters. But then Jesus tells a story about another way, about a different and bigger way than that. Uh, I want to quote Robert Capon again, our wild theologian. Um, Camel, I think I have a, a slide for this one. He says this. I put a slide because I, th I think we needed this one extra. <laughs> the human race is positively addicted to keeping records and remembering scores. What we call our life is, for the most part, simply the juggling of accounts in our heads. And yet... If God has announced anything in Jesus, it is that he, for one, has pensioned off the bookkeeping department permanently. Paradox means that God has permanently fired the bookkeeping department that rules our hearts and rules our minds. Paradox trains us to see uh, kingdom work beyond what our eyes can see. It trains us in the upside down, in the left-handed power, in the scandalous mathematics of grace. I want to read one more quote. Sorry, it's a very quote-heavy day. I cut 10 out, so um, <laughs> these are the ones that last, lasted. Um, it comes from Brennan Manning, who is a self-described ragamuffin. If you know the story of his life, he's like been the best guy and the worst guy and everything in between. And he says this, My life is a witness to vulgar grace, a grace that amazes as often as it offends. 
a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day the same wage as the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. I love that. This vulgar grace is indiscriminate compassion. No bookkeeping. Indiscriminate. So here's what I want to do uh, for our Selah today. Every uh, week at the vineyard, we, we, we take this moment in our service. We call it Selah. It's just like a breath or a pause. And sometimes I'm not bossy and I let you do whatever you want. And then sometimes like this week, I'm very bossy and give you an idea. Honestly, um, uh, this, what we're about to do is honestly not what I want to do. What I want to do is just take a few minutes and just like relish ourselves in the indiscriminate compassion of God. If that's what you would like to do during this time, do it. It will not be a waste of your time. That will be wonderful. Um, but the Holy Spirit um, sort of worked on me this week when I was writing that that's what we would be doing. And he was like, no, no, no. What if you what if you did this? And I know it's the Holy Spirit because I don't like what we're about to do. <laughs> and, and that's usually how I know it's God's voice in my life. It's, it's opposite of what I want. So um, uh, I think in my experience, um, the thing that has kept me, from, uh, kept me most in my life from walking in the freedom of the paradox of this story and the freedom of God's indiscriminate grace is um, how much of my life I, spend like, I feel like I spend thinking about what someone else is getting, that someone else is getting a credit that they don't deserve or taking a compensation that they didn't earn or reaping some sort of benefit that doesn't belong to them. And then I place myself in some sort of bizarre competition uh, with another person sort of for the grace and favor of God. I don't even know what we're competing for. The other creepiest part is they don't even know we're competing, right? It's just me in my mind and it's heavy, you know? Um, and so, do, am I alone in this? Does anyone else do this? Okay, thank you. Um, so I think often what stands between me and the lavish generosity and indiscriminate compassion of God is someone else who has something going on that I want or I feel that I need or I'm struggling with them not being deserving of. There's a German theologian named Helmut Tillich uh, that says it is impossible for us to see the goodness of God through a jealous eye. And that has certainly been true for me. And the one practice that I have found that sets me free in this is something that Chad uh, preached about last fall and honestly is going to preach about again in a few weeks um, when he talked about enemies. Uh, we got this prayer from our friends at a ministry called Exponent who are working with us and coaching with our staff and uh, leaders doing some spiritual direction for us. And they call it the enemies prayer. And I don't like this prayer because I don't have any enemies, so I don't think I need it. Um, but then they define enemies in a horrible way. And one of the ways that they define enemies is anyone that you place yourself in competition with. I'm not talking about like pickleball or jumping jacks. <laughs> Although I think Chad <laughs> I'm talking about on a soul level, who do you place yourself in competition with? So here's what I want to do. I want to spend just a minute and I want you to think of the person or the group of people. The people that you struggle with their success or their happiness or their health or recognition or fertility or whatever it is. Maybe it's someone you work with. Maybe it's like a political party that you don't agree with. Maybe it's um, an old company you used to work for and you got fired. Now they're doing really well. You're like, that's it. Maybe it's um, the person who always does one point better on a test than you. I had a nemesis all through high school. He never knew. I did. 
I know every grade he made on anything. One point better than me every time. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to be gentle with us and, um, and to, to bless this time. And then on the screen, we're going to put this prayer uh, on here, this praying for the enemy. So I want you to think of this person or group, and, um, and then you'll just fill in the blank with their name. And we're going to go really slow through it because I think we got to. Um, and I'm going to be honest, just doing it one time rarely works for me. Usually it takes me about 10 um, they say to pray this until you can smile. But here's the thing. When I show up to this practice and when I pray this prayer, and I do it regularly like multiple days a week, uh, when I do this, God honors it. And if I'm really honest with you, over the last few months, I don't know anything that has been more life-changing to me than this. I am a hyperbolic speaker, but I really mean this. Like, I, it, it has changed my life. It, for me, has been like the welcome packet of kingdom paradox. Uh, Because what I found is that as I've prayed these really difficult words, um, I've experienced this flood of indiscriminate compassion from God for me. I have no idea if this prayer is working in the life of the people that uh, are my enemies, but I know it's working in the life of me.